And so this morning we are uh, continuing in our series, uh, Dirt Matters, focusing on our faith. And the focus of this series is, is that we're exploring the values that we have here at Six Line Church. And so these values that we're exploring are, is the culture that we want to develop, to cultivate in this church, the good soil, as we spoke about last week, so that we can grow together in Christ. And we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And so values are the beliefs or principles that guide, uh, guide a person's behavior and decision-making. See, the one thing that we need to understand, a belief... A belief, am I moving around too much? Is that? See, a belief doesn't become a behavior until it becomes a value. See, it's not until we actually understand a value or have a value that we actually changes the behavior uh, in our lives. You know, every new year, Christmas comes to all the fitness centers around the world because this is when people decide, hey, we're going to get healthy. And so the gyms love it because they get this great influx of people that sign up for memberships. And everybody has the great, a good intention to sit there and go, I'm going to get healthy. But as the year goes by, less and less people start going to the gym. And gyms love it because they're still getting paid, but they're not using the equipment. And so what we would say is that these people that do this have the intention, they believe that getting healthy is important, but it hasn't become a value in their lives. Because someone who thinks or believes and has the value of physical fitness, you see them, that you see their behavior, they go to the gym all the time, they're always doing activity, they're walking, they're hiking, they're eating good food, so it nourishes their body, the healthy food, because it's a value to them. It's the same thing when we understand the value of money. If money is a value to someone, their behavior is wrapped around all things money, how to earn it, how to save it, how to spend it. It's the same with if we have a value of education. We're going to prioritize it. It's going to be part of our behavior. You're going to take courses. We're going to read books. We're going to do well in school. And these personal values are never written down. Maybe you're that person that does write down your personal values, but for the most of us, you can't find them written down in any place. It's just spoken through our behavior. And so here at Sixth Line Church, we have 10 values that we want to drive our behavior, to, to cultivate a culture, to, to till that good soil where we can grow in Christ. And, and when it, my question that it comes when it comes to values is that when people experience us, do they experience the values that we have on our website? You know, as a pastor, I get called from time to time to, uh, from a funeral home to officiate a celebration of life with someone who, you know, a family that doesn't go to church, but they want to have a Christian ceremony. And so I get called to do that every once in a while. And I, I remember this one time I got that call for that particular service. And I arrived at this funeral home, and it was the first time being in this funeral home. And I walked through the front doors, and I'm walking towards the office to meet the director of the funeral home. And I'm noticing things, right? I'm noticing the carpet's kind of ragged, right? It's got some rips here and there. I'm noticing the walls are, like, 
back in the 1970s, right? They really need a fresh coat of paint. And, and some parts of the, of the rooms had these gaping holes in them. And so I arrived at the director's office and he, oh, you know, we get, he sends me to the, uh, the official's room, which is like a green room where officiants wait for the service to begin. And as I'm sitting there waiting for the service to be in, I notice that they have a list of values on the wall. And so I start looking at them and reading them, going through each one. And then there's one that I stopped at. I go, huh. That value that they were stating is that they value excellence. And I'm remembering as I was walking through the building, the ripped carpet, the holes in the wall, the paint that needs to be freshened up. And I thought to myself, that's not a value for them, right? That, their value is profit because they're not spending money on the building. And so we want to make sure here at Six Line that when people interact with us as a church, when they interact with me as a pastor, that the values that we state are the values that they experience. And so this morning, we're going to talk about our first value, which is experiencing God's love and grace. And the way that we state this is we value the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And so for us to understand or live out that value, we really need to understand God's grace. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning, I've had a complicated relationship when it comes to God's grace. See, I grew up in, in a church, and the only way I could describe the culture of this church is that it was based on uh, shame and honor. And a shame and honor culture is, is if you're in, if you fit into the box that they've created, if, if you believe everything they believe, the way that they believe it, if you have the same experiences with the Holy Spirit as they have, then you're in and you'd be honored, you'd be looked at saying, hey, this, this person really is a follower of Jesus. And this culture, this understanding was so ingrained in me as a young person that every church that I passed that was not my church, well, they weren't real Christians, right? They didn't follow Jesus. I would have passed this church as a child and thought, wow, these people really need to know Jesus, right? That's the culture that I grew up in. And of course, if you didn't fit into that box, while well, you were ashamed. And the belief was that you were outside of God's grace and that you were outside of God's favor. So we all worked very hard to fit into this box because who wants to be rejected by God? Who wants to be outside of God's favor? And so when I was 14, yes, despite my children's belief, I was 14 at one time. I had a friend who made some choices. And these choices produced its consequences. And when the church learned about what was going on, and just to give you a frame of mind, I didn't go to a small church. The youth, the teenagers in my youth group were well over 200 people. But once the consequences of the choices that this young lady made came to light, they brought on shame. They tried to shame her and they did shame her. 
the shaming got so bad that she and her whole family had to leave the church. And she has yet to step into the building again. See, I would say that the church that I grew up with, yes, they believe in God's grace. But I would also say is that they didn't value it because of their behavior. And because of the experience that my friend went through, I remember telling God, you know what, your grace is too hard to work for. And so that began a very complicated and confusing relationship with God. And if we were to sit down and have coffee, a conversation over coffee, I'm sure that maybe either yourself or maybe a friend or a family member would have experienced something similar. And I really wish that it was better today, but we live in such a polarizing culture. And it seems like it has gotten worse. And I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know if it's gotten worse or it's just because it's more exposed because of social media. And so the culture as it is, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like I have to walk on eggshells around people because I'm, a, I'm literally afraid to say something because I don't know what's going to come after me. I don't know where the next attack is. And I would say, and I hope you would agree with me, but that's not a culture of grace. And here at Six Line, we value the free, which is my favorite word, gift of salvation in Christ Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And the way that I want you to remember this or help you remember is, is remember this, is grace is reaching, at, reaching you where you are and taking you where God wants you to be. That is explaining or summing up what we believe here at Six Line Church. It's a value for us, and that's what I want us to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you or your tablets or whatever you use to read scriptures, we're going to go back into the Old Testament we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. I'm just going to pray. Father, I just thank you for your written word. Because it always leads us to your living word, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we want to be inspired by your written word as you inspired the author dependent. We want this, your truth, um, to be part of who we are so that we can live it out in our daily lives. And so, Lord, we just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus 3, we're going to take a look at the first 10 verses first. Now it says, now Moses. Now some of you have been around the church probably long enough that you know the story of Moses, and some of you might not know the story of Moses. There are some great movies out there, and my favorite movie of Moses is the Ten Commandments, you know, 1950, Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner. Uh, I watch it every year. I don't know why, but I just enjoy that movie. And Moses has this amazing, interesting story, because not Mo Moses is, is, a, is a patriarch in the Jewish faith. He's a prophet. He has been the one who's been credited for writing the first five books 
of the Old Testament. And, and when he was um, born at the time, the Pharaoh uh, was not too happy about the growth of the Jewish people just outside of Egypt. And they were afraid and they felt threatened by this large group of, of Jewish people. And so the Pharaoh declared a law that all children, all male children between the ages of this and that were to be killed. And so Moses' mother hid Moses for the beginning of his years. And then eventually she couldn't hide him anymore. So she put him in a basket. And his sister Miriam um, guided the basket and it ended up in the Pharaoh's sister's house. And so Moses gets raised up in Pharaoh's palace by his sister. And he's surrounded by all the gods of the Egyptians. And he's surrounded by all the politics of the Egyptians. Really distanced from what's happening with, with his own people. And then he goes out and he sees what's happening with his people. They are being oppressed. They're being butchered. They're being uh, held as slaves. And so, and he sees this violence happening against his family. And so he tries to use violence to free his family. And it goes terribly wrong. And he takes off and he ends up where we're at right here in chapter 3. So Moses was tending his flock of Jephro, his father-in-law. And of course, every guy knows that when jobs are not available, you always work for your father-in-law. Right? The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to a far side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush, or within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And I'm thinking, that's the furthest thing from my mind. I'd be thinking, I need to get out of here because that's weird that this, this is happening. But Moses is a curious fellow, and he wants to check it out. And here's where I want you to get your highlighters or how you underline the scriptures because there's a lot here I want you to take notice of. When the Lord saw, highlight that, Lord saw, that he had gone over to look, God called, highlight God called to him from within the bush. Moses and Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said, highlight that, God said. Take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, and this is the verse I want you to highlight the most. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And then verse 8 continued to highlight, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is saying, I'm reaching people where they're at, and I want to take them where I want them to be. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, 
the whole Ites clan. And now the cry of the Israel has reached me, and I highlight, I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is not the God like the gods of Egypt that Moses was raised with living in Pharaoh's home. See, the gods of Egypt were these demanding gods. You, they were stationary gods. These were gods that you had to go to. These are gods that you had to appease. Uh, and then you waited, and then you waited, and then you waited. And whatever happened after that, whether it was good or bad, you gave credit to whatever god you were trying to appease. And Egypt had hundreds of gods. And people were always trying to appease this god so they could flourish in life. But this god is different. In this scene, we see this god is the one that takes the initiative to be with his creation. And I love the fact that they put that little detail that the, that the bush or the tree did not burn up in the presence of God because it just displays just how gentle God is. That he didn't want the, the tree itself to be destroyed or harmed in any way. And then he takes this initiative and he calls Moses to himself. So God obviously knows who Moses is. God obviously knows everything about Moses' life, and yet he still calls him into his presence. And when you invite someone into a conversation with you, what you're actually saying is that I want to be in relationship with you. And so this is what God is doing with Moses. He's saying, come in, I want to have this conversation with you. I want to be in relationship with you. And then God explains that he's seeing everything that's happening. And he's saying that this is not making me too happy. The text tells us that God sees the misery of the people. He hears their cries. And he's concerned for their suffering. And then he tells Moses, I'm coming to rescue them. I'm reaching out to them where they are because I want to bring them to where I want them to be. And that is what he continuously says to us. He continually says that to me and he continually says that to you. I see the suffering. I see the pain. I see the situations, the violence that have been done against you. And I'm reaching out to where you are so I can bring you to where I want you to be. See, the suffering and pain and violence that we witness in our lives and we witness on TVs was never God's intention for us. When we go back to the creation story, this world that God created did involve violence. It's quite interesting. I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to read a lot of origin stories from different faiths around the world. And every single one of them, the earth 
Everything we see is birthed out of violence and bloodshed. Someone is killing somebody. And that's how things came to be. But when we read the Genesis story, we see how gentle God is. We see that our, 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 our world and we are created with a gentleness and love and grace and favor. So when God sees our plight, his response is always to reach us where we are and bring us to where he wants us to be. And that is so important for us to understand this about God. It's so important for us to understand that God's this willingness to intervene in human affairs and his ability to rescue and to guide and to sustain us through it. And the reason why God takes this initiative, the reason why God wants to be in this relationship and something that we learn from this passage is that God is living and active. And this activity that God does is who he is. It's literally his name. Because when we further go down in verses 11 to 14, we read, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses is already trying to convince God not to send them. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And then Moses asks a very, very important question. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers, see he's not even associated himself with God yet. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And when I read this part, I don't know if you guys seem like you're a lot smarter than I am, but this confused me. What does that mean, I am who I am? That doesn't make sense to me. And it's not supposed to make sense to us. Because in reality, we cannot pronounce God's name. Now, you might have heard the name Yahweh or the word Yahweh used to reference God's name. But what we have done is we've added the A and the E, the two values that actually allow us to pronounce God's name. But this is what God's name looks like converting from Hebrew to English. So I have a test for you. I want you to pronounce God's name. It's impossible. Because God's name is an action. And so here's what I'd like us to do. I know you guys are already rested. But I want you to listen to your breathing. How you breathe in and you breathe out. You breathe in and you breathe out. That's how you pronounce God's name. So everything that has breath, 
proclaims the name of God. And it's God who chose to his deeds to reveal his person and purpose. Now some of you are thinking, great, great information, Pastor Dennis, but what does this have to do with grace? Well, we need to go and travel to the end of Exodus. After God has delivered the Israelites out of slavery and he's brought them across the desert and now they're at this mountain. And because we are all impatient people, we can't wait and we become restless. And so the people decided that, you know what, we're not going to wait on God. We're going to produce a God of our own. And so they build this golden calf and they start worshiping the calf instead of Yahweh. And God sees what's going on and, and here's his response. And we find it in verses 5 and 4, in the verse 34. I do have it on the screen. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This word gracious has been translated from the, uh, the word kahen. And I never get that right because there's a flux in your throat that you have to use to uh, properly pronounce it. And it's from this Hebrew word that we get the word favor. It's from this Hebrew word that we get the word grace. It's from this Hebrew word that we get generosity. And so whenever we hit those words in our English text, this is what it means. It means that it's something that's valuable or generates a favorable response. It generates favor. Or another way to describe it is one gives goodness to another out of love, not because the other deserves it. This is the biblical understanding of grace. Because this is who God tells us he is. This is him. What he's saying here in this verse is saying that he is gracious towards us because he sees us as his treasure. He delights in us. When my children were young, and, and those who have children probably experienced this as well, they draw pictures for you, right? And some of these pictures are drawn and they're images of me. And I would look at this picture and, and for some reason my head was always misshaped and large. Uh, you know, I always had one eye larger than the other, right? I, and, and my head was always bigger than my body, but they'd always give me these stick legs. And I'd always wonder how am I, do I keep my balance with these stick legs and of course my hands are always larger than my arms and as I'm looking at this picture I'm thinking man if this is what my child sees I really need to go see a doctor or maybe they need to see a doctor but what do we do with those pictures we hang them on the fridge even though they're imperfect even though they're they're messy but the person who is doing it 
is our treasure. We delight in them. And that is the same way God sees us. We are his treasure. We are his object of grace. And nowhere do we see God's grace more than he reached out to us where we were and where we are with his son Jesus, who is God and full, the full embodiment of grace who dwelt with us, who surrendered his freedom so we could be free. He allowed us to hang him on a tree. And while we were doing that, what did he say? He said, forgive them. He says, I'm reaching them where they are because I want to bring them where I want them to be. And when we thought we killed him, what happened on the third day? He rose again. And he continued to say, I'm reaching you where you are because I want to bring you to where I want you to be. And where does God want us to be? He wants us to be like him. See, Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. Flourishing in our relationship with God, flourishing in our relationships with one another, flourishing in the creation, the created world that he's given us to steward. So at sixth line, when we say we value the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, this is what we mean. This is our prized possession. This is what, when we say we value it, it's the most important aspect of what we have and what we're experiencing and we want everyone else to experience it as well. It's large enough for everyone to have ever lived and whoever will live to experience the grace of Christ. And it's the foundation of everything that we do here at Six Line Church. It's the foundation of every ministry, of every decision that we make. Because when we see you, we see you as God's treasure. We see you as God delighting in you, that you are his creation. And we believe Jesus is always reaching out to you, wanting to take you where he wants you to be. And that is the culture that we want here. That's the soil that we want to grow or be grown in. See, that's the soil that we're going to bear fruit if we value God's grace and we extend that to one another, that we actually see each other as treasures, as delights in God's eyes, and that God is working and reaching out to you wherever you are. Parents, Jesus sees your children as treasures. And he's reaching out to them where they are. And I know some of us have kids that 
have fallen away from the faith. But remember, Jesus is reaching out to them where they are. And he wants to bring them to where he wants them to be. And children are our treasures here as well. This is why we have our Sunday morning children's ministry. This is why we do VBS. This is why we do the sports camp. This is why we do all we do for children. This is why we have a youth group. Because we value grace. And we want them to experience that grace. Knowing that Jesus is reaching them where they are. Those who are married. No marriage is perfect. Believe me, ask Krista. But your marriage is a treasure to God. He delights in your marriage. He wants to reach your marriage where, where you're at in your marriage, and he wants to bring it where he wants you to be. This is why we do the marriage course. We want to help with that. A lot of us have friends and family who might not, not have experienced God's love and grace. Our neighbors, the people we work with, but God sees them as treasures. And he wants to reach them where they are so he can bring them to where he wants them to be. This is why we do Alpha, which starts this Thursday. And those who are young at heart, those of us that are older, you're never too old for Jesus to reach you where you are and to bring you where he wants you to be. And that's why we have the Young of Heart ministry. And whether you are young, old, single, married, a parent or non-parent, we have grow groups because we believe Jesus is reaching out to people where they are and he wants to bring them to where he wants them to be. a belief doesn't become a behavior until it becomes a value. And since we value the free gift of salvation of Christ Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we will do everything and anything in order for others to experience it too. That is who we are here at Six Line Church. And my prayer is that we are cultivating this culture every single day, every single moment as a family, and that everyone who joins us is that that's what they experience when they walk through this door, when they meet us on the street or they meet us in a coffee house. That we see them as treasures. That we see them the way God sees them, as the lights in his eyes and that he's reaching them where they are because he wants to bring them where he wants them to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that it does become part of our DNA here at Six Line Church. That this value is just not something that's read on a wall, but is lived out in our daily lives in all we encounter throughout the week and on Sunday, that we would see each other as you see us, as your treasure. And that you are always and continually reaching out to us and to them because you are inviting them into conversation, into relationship with you and with your church.
And so, Father, I just thank you and praise you that you reached out to us with your son, Jesus. Who invited us into relationship. Who paid the price that we could never pay. Because he wants to take us to where he wants us to be. And so, Lord, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.